pleasure to be in God's house, isn't it? Come on, let's clap like, we're, like we love Jesus. <laughs> hey, um, if you're here for the first time, welcome to church. We are so glad that you're here, and um, we actually mean it. It's like nine of you that like made, uh, okay, we actually mean it, don't we, church? We're glad that you're here. And um, hey, uh, one, of, one of the things that we strive as a family to create in this place is, um, it's a bit peculiar when we say, like, we pray that you feel right at home, although this feels nothing like home, because like at home there's a lazy bull, you're by yourself, and like you just get to control the sound volume and everything, like here you can't. And so it's everything that's not like your home, but what we do pray is that the spirit of welcoming and joy and peace and, um, uh, would be found in this place. And um, though it may be completely foreign to you, this may be nothing like church to you, um, but we're grateful that you're here nonetheless, and we celebrate the fact that you're with us today. Um, man, I'm excited. I'm going to do my best to um, share with you what God's placed on my heart today in the remaining time that we have. And um, I'm always, I was um, overwhelmed in worship and, um, and what God continues to do in, the, in this house um, humbles me. Uh, it overwhelms me at time. And uh, someone said to me one time, they said, uh, how do you, how do you um, stay humble? And the truth is, when they asked me that question, I, I hadn't thought about it. I, haven't, I don't get up every day saying, how do I stay humble? I, I, I suppose the one thing, the more I contemplated on that is, I become aware of what God does in spite of my wrongs. I become more aware of the grace of God that is at work in my life. And the only way that you'll walk with humility before God is if you have an awareness of what he's already done on your behalf. If you're unaware of what he's done for you, you'll walk with arrogance before him. If you're unaware of what he's done for you, you'll walk with anger and frustration towards God. You'll stick your chin up at him and cross your arms and say, well, I've been in here before. But the truth is you've only been exposed to religion and you've never walked with Jesus. When you walk with Jesus, it changes things. Can I tell you, um, one, a prof I felt like the Lord spoke to me in worship before I came up here, and I wanted to just share it with you. I didn't say this at the first service, but Sunday mornings, is, Sunday services are supernatural. They're very natural in a sense, but there's a supernatural component to it that we often don't see and we don't recognize, and at times we can feel them, and we can sense something is going on, but we can't put our finger on it, we can't quantify it. And, Many of us attempt to articulate it by saying that the Word of God says that the Spirit of God inhabits the praises of His people, and so the Spirit of God is present in worship, which is true. But one of the things I think is most fascinating in, in the component of a service is that we have worship, we have a time to receive tithes and offerings, and we have a time for the preaching and the proclamation of the Word of God. And one of the most fascinating things about those three areas is that everyone requires us to lean in and to surrender in worship. Every one of them is an act of worship. Every one of them is a call to worship. And I don't know about you, but I've been raised in church for a long time, and sometimes, like, I didn't realize that, that the church, we have our own language. And then you go to seminary, and you get handed a theological dictionary, and you realize that there is another language to learn. Just to understand this language, you've got to learn another language. And we use the word worship, but can I tell you the best way for, uh, for you, as a barometer for you to, to figure out where, where your heart is before God, is to evaluate how you feel in the settings of those three environments on Sunday. Let me explain. When I was growing up, um, I endured worship. I did not participate in it. I was an observer of it. It was kind of loud, people were very into it, and, and I would often say like, why are they lifting their hands? Why are they engaging? I don't get it, does it make sense? But hey, to each their own, have a go, I'll just sit here and stare at you. <laughs> you know what I mean, that type of thing. And, and, and also when, worship, when, when tithes and offerings would go around, which is an act of worship to God, I, I would be like, well, you know, I don't really know where it's going, I don't know about this, and now nah, that's okay, not interested, pass. And then the word of God would be preached, and I'd say, oh, that's good, point three, uh, not real sure about that one. I'll take one and two, thank you, Jesus, and I would leave. And then when I, I'm just being honest, can I be honest with you? Some of you are like, oh my God, I can't believe that. No, that was me, okay? And, 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 and now I, I'll, sit in, I'll sit in service, and I recognize, and I feel like this is what God says, when you are in an environment of, of worship, the, the praises and hymns, 
if you are not surrendered to God, it angers you. It frustrates you. It fights in opposition. Doesn't it? It fights opposition against you. Your flesh says, I don't feel like doing this. I have no desire to lift my hands. I have no desire to sing. I have no desire. What is that word? I can't even read it. What does that say? I don't, I don't like this beat. I don't like the drums. It's too loud. Why are they singing? I don't like the electric guitar. They should be banned. I don't like this. You know, you start going through all this stuff and you, you refuse to worship. There's almost like, and it's an indicator that something's not surrendered in your heart. But when you surrender to God and you walk into the environment and the one that you've surrendered your life to is the one that you're lifting up and praise something, something, you, even those that don't have rhythm, all of a sudden you start to find rhythm. Even like, even like a white church, we can clap on beat. Like even it's like, it's weird. Weird stuff happens when you surrender your life to Jesus. You're like, you're like all of a sudden you're like, I love worship. You're like, why? It's like, because we're worshiping God. Like that's, that's the point of this. And then some people, when they come to church, they're like, you know, I love service. It's just like that singing part that you guys do. It's like a little loud. I don't understand it. And so I kind of stand in the back, but, but I love your talks. And I'm like, it's flattering. I love that. But you're missing one of the most profound, one of the most impactful, one of the most dynamic components of being part of the family of God in the act of worship. Some of us are going to be incredibly disappointed when you learn that for all eternity in heaven, we will be worshiping God. Some of you are like, oh my God, I'm going to awkwardly clap. <laughs> Is that serious? Yes, we're going to be worshiping God for all eternity, for what he's done and what he will do in our lives. And I just feel like so many of us, you miss the moment of worship. Some people, there's, there, there's, there's bondages lift, there's breakthroughs being, that are happening, and there's so much going on in worship. And a lot of that is created because there's many that are surrendered to Jesus and choose to worship. And yet still, there are some who stand like this. And guess what? I don't care if you stand like this in service. I don't care if you close your eyes. I don't care what you do. Do you know why? Because everyone is on a journey. All I'm saying to you is this, that there is something more in that moment. And the same is true for offering. The same is true for offering. When those buckets get passed, do you know what it is? It's, a, it's an indicator of who you worship, period. You can upside down, sideways, oh, I don't care how you argue it, articulate it, whatever you want to say. It is an act of surrender, and it's an, it's an indicator of who I identify as the source of my provision, period. That's all it is. And for me, I used to chase all of those things. I used to study and read. I'm like, no, I need to find that one verse that just says, like, you don't need to do this. And then I was like, I can't find it. And then something peculiar happened. I actually found out that if all of this is true, and I will stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one that sent his only begotten son to earth to bleed and to die and to hang on a cross for my sins. And I will stand before him, not in my own righteousness, but in the righteousness of his son. I'm going to get there before him and be like, I'm sorry, I just wanted to keep my money. See, some of us, we just don't think about it. But this is the problem. It's in those simple acts of obedience that releases a supernatural blessing. And for many of us, we watch the supernatural blessings happening in people around us, and we say silly, often ignorant statements like, oh, look how lucky they are. Oh, I wish I had what they had. We chase after the blessings of what other people have, but the truth is, is that if you, if you trace back the blessing, you'll find that there are behaviors that yield that blessing because there's certain blessings that come from the presence in the throne room of God that are not acquired through our own striving and our own effort. They're released to God. Blessings are released, they're not acquired. And the only way they can be released from an eternal throne is out of an obedient and a surrendered heart. See, many of us, we don't realize it, but we've been chasing something you will never find. You'll never get there. You'll never get to that point to say, oh, I've got it. You can. It's only released from God. When we've been in this series talking about what do you see, there's something that we haven't talked about is what do you see your life will leave? Like what will your life look like? Or what will your life leave when you're gone? What will the legacy be of your life? Is what I'm trying to say. When you're gone, what will people say of you? What will be the things? What do you want people to describe you like? Well, they were great at this. They were good at that. They were kind and 
They had a difficult season at one point, but they got over it. And, you know, they were fashionable. They were really educated. They had a lot of money. They, they did a lot of good things. They were, you know, maybe it's like you're, you're the person where everyone says, oh, they really have a good heart, but mm. you know what I mean? And it's like, well, I, what do you want people to say of your life? And for many people who feel like you've become a victim of decisions of other people, you're sitting here to say, you know, you're probably here this morning saying, I don't really have a choice in the matter. Like my story is being written and I, it is what it is. The truth is, is you're not a victim and a bystander in the story of your life. You are the co-author with Christ in your story. And though you can't control all of the outcomes, you can always choose to, to, to surrender control and authority to the King of Kings. You can always do that. And I would always, I, I, listen, I've recognized something in my life. Every time I've tried to pull control back, whether it's been subtly under the, under the camouflage of using Christianese language, saying, oh, I'm just trying to be, give God some, I'm just waiting for that open door. You know what I mean? I'm just praying and waiting for God to give me the direction. It's kind of like, no, I just don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't want to say that because that's like, it sounds like disobedience. But if I say, I'm just praying to hear God clearly. Do you know what I mean? I'm good, I'm good at that. And, and I know that, but I've recognized that God searches the heart. He can see through that stuff. He understands that if there's a, it's a heart that is truly seeking God, that's why the word of God says that if you seek me, you'll find me. It doesn't say that if you seek me, you, oh, you might find me, but I'm kind of real, you know, he's, he's not. He's not trying to hide himself from you. He's trying to display his, the, the works that are evident in your life right now. It's not a coincidence. You're not here by accident today. There's a divine, supernatural, eternal God that, it's a, that is at work at our, in our lives on a daily basis. And for many of us, we go through the daily, our daily lives and we don't recognize that a legacy is compounded on the daily decisions that we make. It's not something that all of a sudden we, we get on our deathbed and we're like, you know what? I want to leave a legacy that I'm a writer. Like, have you ever written for it? No. But I want to be known as a great writer. I guess start now. You know what I mean? Like, no, that's not how this works. A legacy is built by the small decisions, the unseen decisions. The unapplauded decisions, the often neglected decisions, the quiet decisions, the ones that no one else sees, the ones that no one else really care, cares about. It's in those decisions that we begin to, to build things. And we often realize that it's in the quiet rooms and in the quiet places of our heart and of our lives that God is doing and is something significant in building. This is why the Word of God says... Do not deceive yourselves in just hearing the word and not doing it. And for many believers, we are completely deceived by this thought that if I hear the word of God, that my life will naturally yield the blessings of it. It's nonsense. It's not biblical. Jesus didn't say that. It sounds good. It might even preach well. It is not truth. Truth is that if I want to walk in the blessings of God, I'm obedient to his word. And so for some of us, we're like, oh, you know, we roll our eyes. We're like, oh, I, I, it's so hard. No, it's not. Our flesh fights against surrender because our flesh wants to control. Our flesh thinks that we know what's best, that we can yield what's best. But that's not what it means to serve, to serve God. I'm reminded of what it says in Proverbs about building and leaving a legacy. It says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. For many of us, when we hear that, we're like, wow, this is, this is talking about leaving a lot of money, a lot of cash. Some of you are like doing the math in your head. You're like, that's not going to get very far. You know, I, mean, I, I can't leave that much. It's not about monetary things, though that may be a component of it. And I believe God wants us as good stewards to leave an inheritance to our children. And maybe part of that is a wealth because you are good stewards of what God blessed you with. But it's more than that. And I've watched in my life, I don't know about you, but I, I like to observe people's lives. But I've often made the mistake of watching people in life and saying, man, I, I want to be like them. They're, they're, they're going through a difficult season, but look at them. 
Like they're not faking it, they're, they're like they have joy. It's tough, I can tell, but they have joy and they have peace in their life. I don't know how they're doing it, but I, but I want what they have. The problem is, for many of us, is that when we peer into the life of someone who's living a life led by the Spirit, we often don't recognize, what chapter am I peering into this journey? When we talk about legacy and things, I, for me, need to, need to understand it in the context of a book. Of a book. If someone recommends a book to you, um, and they say, hey, this is a great book. It's going to help you with this. It's, you're going to learn this. It's an awesome book. Before you even read the book, it has a reputation. That's what reputations are. It's, it's who you're supposed to be. But a legacy is really who you are. Because a legacy will ultimately be what you leave behind. It's not the, 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 the perception of you, it is the real you. Because it's only the real you that will actually leave tangible things for generations upon generations to have. The perception of you leaves nothing. It's gone in a moment. It's gone when you're gone. But a legacy continues to speak volumes while you're no longer around. I remember observing people and watching them walk with confidence in difficult seasons. Watch them do life well, and their marriage was thriving, and I watched it in, in my, my own parents' lives. I watched it in other people's lives, and I remember watching as a young boy, and I didn't, th I don't, I don't understand it all, but I remember watching it just, have you ever watched it, so, looked at someone, and it's not a covetousness, it's not an envy of saying, I want what they have in the sense of, of, of striving to have something that doesn't belong to you, but it's like, you know what? I want that to be my marriage. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, I want that to be my life. I want to walk with joy. I want to have that peace. I want to have that purpose. I want to worship like that person. I don't know what they're on in the morning, but I want to worship like that person. I want to pray like that person. Every time I'm around them, they're praying. I, you know what I'm talking about? I would watch and see these attributes in people, and often I would make the assumption that that in order for me to get that, I, you know what? I know what they're doing. I know what they're doing. They're probably going to counseling. They're probably going to counseling. So we probably just go to counseling and then that'll happen. Or they're probably reading every day and they're reading this much and they're doing all these things. And then everything became about works, about me striving to accomplish something that they had that I saw on the outside. But what I saw on the outside was not produced by their striving. It was produced by what was on the inside. And often when we see people's lives, it's not. We misappropriate the blessing. We think the blessing they walk in is something that they've achieved over time. Listen to me now. Blessings are not achieved. They're not acquired. They're released from God, and they're released through our obedience. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. A lot better than the nine. 2 Timothy, don't tell him I said that. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. The apostle Paul is writing to a young church leader. Yeah, it's Timothy. And he says this. He says this. He says, for I'm being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Three things, church that will help us leave a significant legacy. And the first is this, just to fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. Listen, there are a lot of fights going on. I mean, you can just turn on the news and you're like, whoa, it's a fight here, fight here, fight here. I mean, you could be involved in whatever fight you want. You could be involved in a political fight. You could be involved in a social justice fight. You could be involved in, in, in a fight for this and a fight for that and all of these different fights. You could be involved in all of them. The Apostle Paul says, fight the good fight. You find that the good fight is an eternal fight. It's a fight that will that'll be around, that the results of that fight will be around long after you're gone. It's a fight of generations. I've come to recognize in my life that my parents fought fights for us as their children that we wouldn't have to fight. And I've also watched parents forgo that fight, and their children are fighting those fights today. 
One of the greatest joys of my life is watching people, no matter where they are in the season of life, no matter what chapter they're at in their book, that they stand up and they say, you know what? This generational curse, this generational sin, this generational fight, it stops with me. I'll have the victory over it in Jesus' name. Whatever it looks like, whether it's divorce, whether it's brokenness, whether it's bitterness or anger, whether it's a spirit of poverty, whether it's a spirit of negativity, whatever it may be, people stand up and they proclaim, they say, no longer will this be passed from one generation to the next. And the only way that that happens, it's not through striving. It's not through, through working hard. When Paul says fight the good fight, do you know how you win the good fight? It's going to mess some of you up. You don't fight. When I say, listen, there's going to be a fight, what do you think? People start going like this, <laughs> like UFC. No, 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 no. Fight the good fight. Do you know why Paul's saying fight the good fight? He's trying to like let you know there's a bad fight. There's a wrong fight. And it yields nothing of eternal significance. But there's a good fight. And if you fight that good fight, all of these things will be added unto you. And not only that, that good fight will yield for you a legacy that will go from one generation to the next generation to the next generation to the next generation. There is a good fight to fight. And for many of us, we don't recognize it, but it is not a fight. Many of us, when you say fight, if your marriage is, is on the rocks, if your finances are not where they should be, if your emotions are all over the place, if your body is broken, whatever it may be, you know what many of us do? We're like, I'm going to win this. And we, in, in our flesh, we try to fight, but you know what? It's not fought that way. It's not fought that way. That's not how we fight these fights. Paul says, though we are in this world, we do not fight like this world fights. We fight in the spirit and not in the flesh. For many of us, you're like, oh, what does that mean? It means to surrender control to God. It means to surrender to God. It's a guy, I'm going to fight the right fight. In 2 Corinthians, Paul uses this analogy saying that we use weapons of righteousness in our right hand and in our left hand. And in that time and day, the Romans, they would hold the swords in the right hand and they'd hold the shields in their left. And Paul is saying that we fight this battle these weapons of righteousness. It's interesting that he says weapons of righteousness because none of us stand in our own righteousness. It is the righteousness that we've received from God. So he's saying the weapons that you and I fight with are not weapons that we can acquire in the flesh. They're weapons that we can only acquire in the spirit. And if we acquire them in the spirit, we need to fight in the spirit. He says weapons of righteousness. There is this sword of faith and there's this shield. Sword that we fight with, which is the word of God, and the shield of faith. And you know, in all the Bible, talking about spiritual warfare, do you know not one time it tells us to advance? It says, stand firm. It's as if God fights for us. But he wants us to stand into position of readiness to recognize in John 10, 10, that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But God comes to give us life and life more abundantly. Amen? That we're called to fight the good fight. Not only are we called to fight the good fight, but the word of God says that we're called to finish the race well. I remember talking with my brother-in-law. He runs marathons because he thinks they're fun. And um, that I, I, I'm sorry. I just, yeah. like, let's go run for 26 miles, and we'll call it fun, okay? And, uh, and I get it. I, I mean, I teach their own. But I remember watching the Boston Marathon. And I don't know if it was a Boston or the New York. Well, it was one of them. I'm sorry. if I'm probably offending some of you just by saying that, but saying that, but... I remember it was a few years back and there was this young woman who had won the race, the marathon, and I caught the race at the very end. And she said something that just blew my mind. I'm watching this race and they get, and you know, I love it. They like, they finish the race and like three minutes after, like, hey, talk to us. I would punch someone in the face if they put a microphone in my mouth. They'd be like, hey, you just ran 26 miles. Tell us how you feel. I'm like, take the microphone and hit them with it. That's how I feel. No, you know what I mean? And they came up to her afterwards and like, tell us how you feel. And she's, she's trying to get out. And, and then they, she finally says, do you know, mile marker three, I turned to my friend and said, I don't feel right. I'm going to give up and stop. I think, no, she did not say that. Because they just got done saying that she broke a record. I said, you gotta be kidding me. She says, yeah, the person I was running with got sick and had to use the, the restroom and I stopped and waited for her because I felt she had a better chance of winning over myself. She goes, but as I cont continued to run, I found my strength coming back and I began to think I might be able to win this. I just find it so peculiar that many of us, we look at our life in the chapter we're in right now and we forget 
that God's not done with us, that God's not done writing our story, that God's not finished with you, that God hasn't forgotten you, that you are not missed by God, that though it feels like you may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death and God has abandoned you and God forgot about you and God doesn't care about you and your seizures and your situations, that's a lie from the pit of hell. God loves you, he cares for you more than I could articulate from this platform. But I know how the enemy works. It's this idea of isolation. It's perpetuating lies in your mind. And any time the enemy tries to, any time the word of God is, is spoken over your life, I'm, I know what happens. The lies from the enemy begin to mount in our heads. But the, but, but, but the apostle Paul says, this is how we fight. This is how we fight. Everything that presents itself that's contrary to the word of God, we take those thoughts captive and hold them to the obedience of Christ. So a believer who walks with God and is led by the spirit, every time a lie from the pit of hell comes into their mind, we rebuke that thought in the name of Jesus and say, I'm a child of God. I'm victorious in Jesus' name. No weapon formed against me shall prosper in Jesus' name. I've been given a sound mind, a sound mind. Anxiety and fear be gone in Jesus' name. There's something about finishing this race. Each one of us are called to it. And I know for many of you, people have judged you because they came in chapter three. You just need to know in your spirit, there's still more chapters to write. Can you say amen? amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, it says this, therefore, everybody say therefore. There's just this excitement. He says, since we are surrounded, it's not by an enemy. It's not by an enemy. We're not surrounded by enemies. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I don't know about you, but I remember in college, we were all doing our final lifts my senior year. And, and when everyone's around you, that is for you. That they're actually for you. They're not like, oh, I hope he fails at this. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, I hope he gets hurt. No, there's like, come on, you can do it. There's like, have you ever been surrounded? Some of you have gone through this entire journey and you have yet to be surrounded by voices of encouragement. You don't know what it's like to be around people that'll pick you up when you fall and not judge you for it. You don't know what it's like to be in a family where you screw up and they say, that's all right, join the party, we're all screw ups, but we serve a perfect God. You don't know what it's like to be in an environment where you're not judged for the struggles and the challenges you're dealing with. My prayer is that this will be the place for you to, be, to belong to. That we can, together, we can, we can run this race together. That we can be confident in our callings before God. And the final thing is this, is to keep the faith. Is to keep the faith. I love that verse in Hebrews and it finishes. I shouldn't have stopped it. I should have keep, kept reading it for some of you, but it says we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance, the race that is marked out for us. It's perseverance. Do you know how many people come to church and they'll come for a few months and, and they'll, they'll believe the lie? And the lie is this, that you're doing good because you were in church for six weeks. So now go ahead and leave church. And then as soon as things start turning crappy again, then you just come back to church and then God will be like, you know, bless you. And then you can go and you can do your things. And then when things get crappy again, then you can come back. Can I tell you something? The Bible says, God shall not be mocked. A man shall reap what he sows. If you, if you sow sparingly, you shall also reap sparingly. But if you sow generously, you will reap generously as well. Do you know what that means? It means that God calls each one of us to a life of surrender, not to a part-time surrender, not to a part-time relationship. We serve a jealous God and he wants all of our heart, not part of it, but all of it. Can you say amen? The final thing, the final thing, keep the faith. Everybody say, keep the faith. Turn to your neighbor and just say, keep the faith. Now turn to the second neighbor and say, keep the faith. My senior year, my senior year, you, you, maybe you did this, but my senior year, it's like, you know, it's like the last day of school or the third day, and they let all the seniors go around and with their yearbook and like, hey, you want to sign? You're like, no. And they're like, no, we're friends. You're like, no, we're not, but okay, you know. And you just sign, you're right in, there, in the things. And, um, I don't know why, I, I kid you not, I don't know why, but in preparation for this, I was reminded of it because I only graduated like a few years ago. And um, <laughs> time flies. And, um, and I remember everyone, every person that I signed in their yearbook, like everyone was writing these really long, like, do you remember when? And I'm like, 
Like, who's got time for that? You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to put these three words. are going to be the most profound words, okay? And I just wrote, keep the faith. And I just wrote my name. And I was like laughing at the time, but I really feel that God, through my own foolishness, was speaking to some people just saying, hey, whatever it, whatever it means for you, find a way to fight to know Jesus. Find a way to get to the place to meet Jesus. In my preparation of the message, as far as I was reviewing my notes, my daughter Harper came snuggling up to me and, and, um, and she goes, what you doing? I was like, I'm working my message. She's like, is it good? I was like, honey, it's always good. You know, and she does, Harper's like so good. She's like, oh, dad, you know what I'm saying? So I was like, no, I'm serious, always good. And, um, and uh, she says, what are you doing? I was like, I'm talking about faith. You know what faith is? She's like, dad, yes, I know faith, okay. I'm like, okay, all right. And I'm like, well, who do you have faith in? And she looks at me like, really, Dad? She's like, Jesus? And I'm like, you're making me so proud. She's like, I'm getting up. And, you know, like, like walks, walks away. But I, 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 thought on, I thought about that when she got down. It's like many people will say, I have faith. But their faith is not in Jesus. Yeah. Their faith is in this randomness of, of the universe. These good spirits and oars, these these. these these good contexts of things. Well, I have faith that all things will do this. Can I tell you something? Our faith is in Jesus. It's in one name. It's in one person. It's in the name of Jesus. And as we go through this life, as we go through this life, and we strive and we, we live a life to please God and to honor God and to obey God, we live with faith in Jesus. This now faith, now faith, confidence in what we hope for, assurance in what we do not yet see. That's faith, church. Do you know it is impossible to please God without it? And for many of us, I'm, it bothers me to say this, but we're not used to walking in faith. It's like we're not used to walking in the shoes of faith. Faith requires something of you. It requires you to lift your eyes out of the, the normalcy of life and lift your eyes to Jesus and just say, God, I have no idea how I'm going to get through this, but I'm walking by faith and trusting that what I cannot see will come to pass in Jesus' name. Though I don't see my spouse with me, I'm believing and proclaiming in Jesus' name they'll be with me. And though I don't see my children saved, God, I'm proclaiming and believing that they'll be saved in Jesus' name. Though I don't see the provision and the increase of my salary, God, I'm believing that you'll do exceedingly abundantly more than I could ever ask or imagine. And God, though I don't see the solution to my broken heart, the solution to my insecurity. And though I don't see the solution to fixing all the problems that are wrong in my life, God, I believe that you do. And I'm gonna trust you in all, my, in all my ways and with all my heart. Church, I really believe that there's something supernatural getting ready to happen in your life, in the life of this church. I believe it. But I know this, that blessings are not pushed on us. Legacies are not delegated or distributed at random. They're possessed by God. Meaning God's promises are good. They're yes and amen. But promises need to be walked in. They need to be received. People in the office laugh at me every once in a while when people start to get sick around the winter. And I'm like, what is wrong with you guys? I don't get sick. And they all go, oh. And I said, no, I rebuke sickness in Jesus' name. By his stripes, I am made whole. And they go, oh. And I was like, no, do you know what? I think in all of our life, in every context, we must believe what we declare. We must believe the promises of God. And the only reason it may seem silly to you is because you've operated so long without it. But when God calls his children to operate by faith, may it be something that is not foreign to us, may it be something that is familiar to us. And if it is impossible for us to please God without faith, may faith be the substance of our legacy. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in the life of this family. Father, I thank you for those who are here for the first time. I thank you, God, that you desire to speak to all of us in unique ways. God, I thank you that you speak to me through random conversations, through random dialogues with my children, through, through things I may see on TV or hear on the radio. God, I'm grateful that you speak to me in peculiar ways. But Father, I pray that we fight the good fight, that we finish the race well, and that we keep the faith. Father, with everything that's going on today, Father, in politics and issues of abortion and all of these things that are happening around us, Father, I pray that you would allow us to operate with truth and grace. 
Father, let us not believe the lie that we, that the society will have us think, God, that in some way we need to dismiss our convictions in order to operate with compassion. It's nonsense, God. You've come and displayed that we can operate with our strong convictions and display love and compassion to people. Father, I'm grateful that when everything around us begins to darken, Father, that the church rises up and becomes bright. And Father, may we obey you in all of our ways. In your precious and holy name. Hey, thanks for watching. I pray that that message was a blessing to you. And I pray it's encouraged you um, wherever you find yourself in your journey of life. We never like to end any one of our services without giving you um, the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was raised to life, that you will be saved. And salvation is a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't work towards it. It can only be received. It's this incredible grace that comes only from God. So the Bible says that right where you are in your season, not trying to fix anything else, not trying to get yourself better, not waiting or putting off salvation, but today to make the decision to say yes to Jesus, that you know you can't save you, that you need Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says it only requires you to say a simple prayer. So repeat after me, just say this prayer. Say, dear, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again. Come into my life and make me new. I'm now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you just said that prayer, we believe that your eternity is secure in Christ. One of the things that I want to encourage you to do, your next step, if you would, um, is to tell somebody. Whether you're telling us through the website and contacting us and informing us or telling someone else at a local church that maybe you visited. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is to be planted in a healthy Bible-based church, whether it's True North Church or another church close to you. Find a church community to do life with. Man, we're so excited for you. Make sure that you get a Bible. If you don't have one, please reach out to us. We'd love to bless you with the Bible and encourage you on your journey with Jesus. I'm excited for you. I truly believe that your best days are still ahead.
What if your prayer is not one that says, God, fix this, but one that says, God, I just need you in this. Let me see what you see in it. Can I tell you that as we seek solutions from God, it's in this pursuit that we miss the giver of the blessing only to desire to seek the blessing itself. And that's not what we're called to. We're not followers of blessings. We're followers of Jesus. And so he leads us and guides us through all seasons of life. Do you know that in the Psalm 23, David says that the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. Is that in your spirit? Can you walk through circumstances through the valley of the shadow of death and fear, fear no evil? How? Because he guides me and he comforts me and he is my shepherd. And therefore, I lack nothing.
Thank <laughs> you.